Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to a very special edition of Watching Sports and Sporting Watches. While I am away, traipsing around Northern Europe, Balaj will be taking the hot seat and welcoming to the smooth booth Canadian Olympian and swimmer Brent Hayden. Please enjoy the following interview. So, um, we're lucky and honored to have yet another uh, Olympia medalist on WASP after Primoz Roglic's appearance uh, earlier this year. This time we have the pleasure of talking to the fastest swimmer in Canadian history, as far as I read. Um, bronze medal winner of, uh, of the 100-meter freestyle at the 2012 London Olympics, Brent Hayden. Welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this, man. Alan, thanks for having me. This is exciting. What's up with the fastest swimmer in Canadian history? Well, I have the uh, the Canadian record in the 50-meter freestyle, 100-meter freestyle, 200 meter freestyle in both short course and long course. So, and wow. you know, those are all, you could say, those are all kind of regarded as the, uh, the fastest events. So I got all of them. Gotcha. Well, right before we jump into the questions, um, you are, well, you're Canadian, obviously, but you're in, in Europe, you're in Italy right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. what are you doing there and where are you? So right now I'm in uh, Naples and I'm here with the ISL. That's the International Swimming League. It's uh, it's um, a professional uh, league competition, and I'm here with the Toronto Titans. And what's super exciting is like even though it's uh, you know Toronto's you know it's a Canadian uh, city, these teams are very international, and uh, it's an opportunity uh, that you know a lot of swimmers don't have to compete with. Uh, as teammates, other people that would have been uh, our competitors. So, for example, uh, you know, being in Italy, this is kind of exciting, but I'm with uh, Lorenzo Zazzeri, who was, uh, you know, 50-meter freestyle uh, finalist, uh, but he was also on the men's 4x100 freestyle in, for Italy, which won silver. And, you know, they beat us. You know, we ended up uh, we ended up fourth. So here we are, here we are and I actually get to, uh, you know, call him a teammate. So it's uh, that's super, uh, super neat. Yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. How long are you staying for? I've been here for uh, a little over two weeks, I think, already, and I uh, got enough, about another two weeks to go. It depends on how we rank uh, mm -hmm. after the first uh, few competitions, because um, if we're in the bottom four, we have to stay a little longer and go into the, the final match, because it's the top uh, top eight teams out of ten that actually go mm -hmm. into the playoffs, and that's going to be an Einhoven. So if we're in the bottom four, we got to go to a final match to claim those last two spots, but... You know, we we got second place in the first match, and we're in the middle of our second match right now. And we won day one, so we're in a good position to uh, to really uh, put a stamp on things and uh, you know get a high ranking. Cool. Well, good luck with that. Um, um, we're gonna uh, you know keep checking you guys out on Instagram. Um, well, listen, um, you know, obviously you're an outstanding sportsman and a watch guy, and this is where the connection comes uh, to Wasp, at least. Um, but um, you know, I, I'd like to chat a bit about sports before we jump into watches, if that's okay with you. So, um, hey, before we start, shall I call you brand or soup? <laughs> you, you can you can call me either one. Um, the soup soup isn't quite as popular as, as it used to be when I when I was younger. Um, but that was uh, that was a nickname I got because I had a Superman s uh, tattoo, which was actually an old swim team logo. It was kind of like a a club tradition once you move on um, after that team to kind of take that logo uh, with you. So when I, you know, graduated high school, you know, moved to university, joined the varsity program. Um, yeah. You know, I carried that tradition along and my teammates just started calling me uh, soup uh, short for a Superman, but uh, 
it's that name's getting kind of picking it back up since I came back out of retirement. Even though I even don't, I don't even have the Superman S tattoo anymore. I've had it. Uh, I've actually had it lasered off. Just uh, uh, my my taste in tattoos have changed a little bit, but I, you know, I'm considering getting it uh, redone and uh, you know maybe better and uh, somewhere else. But who knows? Well, that's a cool nickname, the Soup. Um, well, um, well, listen. Let me start with the recent Tokyo Olympics, right? Because as yeah. you just said, you came out of a seven-year retirement, and I think only last year, right, to compete again. Um, yeah, twenty nineteen. So yeah, well, um, right, exactly. So twenty twenty should have been the Olympics. So that's that's um, that's pretty amazing. Why did you decide to 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 come back, come out of retirement after seven years, and, and compete again? You know, uh, some of it actually comes down to the reason why I actually left in the first place. Um, there, were, there were two big reasons why I retired after 2012, because um, you know, a lot of people think that you know, I got an Olympic medal, you know, I'm on top of the world, you know, or maybe two steps off the top of the world if you want to get technical. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, it looked like I was going to, you know, I was kind of hitting my stride, I was going to uh, you know, start um, you know, having that level of success, but really um, getting to the London Games, uh, I was, struggling through depression. Um, like I, I would say preparing for the, uh, the London games was the worst year of my life. So I was struggling with the depression, uh, with things that were going on, um, outside, like in my life outside of the pool, but then also dealing with my chronic back spasms, which was, yeah. uh, really hampering my training. I would literally, uh, every time my spasm would happen, I would think that my, uh, my final shot at, at Olympic medal, cause I'd already been through two Olympics and I didn't do very well at, uh, both of them. Um, you know, Athens, just, you know, being a rookie, um, Beijing, just uh, misjudging uh, how fast the semifinal was going to be, even though I was world champion the year before. Uh, so I was looking at the Olympics as kind of like, you know, my chance to finally prove to people, um, you know, that I, that I can do it. But every time I had that back spasm, I'd, I'd see that opportunity uh, slipping away. And so that was causing, uh, you know, my mental health to greatly deteriorate uh, as well. And then going into the London Games just two weeks before uh, before the opening ceremonies, we were at staging camp and back in Italy, who were actually in uh, Olbia, and mm -hmm. I had a back spasm in my room and I couldn't walk for four days. And I was actually wow. almost retired before the games even happened. And then the day of the final, uh, my rib was out of place. So I was like, so getting that medal and just you know reflecting back on the the year that I had to overcome to get there and not seeing any solutions to any of that. You know, my mental health was still, uh, was still going downhill. Um, you know, my back was not getting better. I just realized like, you know, maybe this was my chance to, to leave on top and trying to hang on. Um, and, you gotcha. know, having to leave the sport when, you know, an injury forces me out or, you know, mental health, like I wasn't, I wasn't prepared to let my mental health slip further, especially, uh, you know, when that doesn't just affect me, but affects the people in my life as well. So, I felt that was the best time for me to leave. But in 2019, um, now I didn't swim at all during those seven years off. It was, it was I, I shouldn't say not at all. Like I, I swam for not as many fingers as I actually have on my hands. That's how often I got wow. into the pool. But, but I was teaching a lot. Um, I really enjoyed giving back to the sport, even though getting into the pool personally was uh, um, really painful. Um, emotionally, but in 2019, as I like my wife and I wanted to film the course, the curriculum that we'd been using to teach swimming across the country, um, and make that available online. So we flew to Lebanon, which is our home country, uh, found an amazing pool at this, um, at this country club called the Jaita country club. Um, 
Olympic-sized pool on the mountainside. Uh, you could like look down the valley at the Mediterranean. So they had the most like amazing sunsets there. And I was getting in, getting in the water every single day. So first, just getting in, you know, trying to get in, you know, find my um, rhythm, so to speak, so that I'd be, uh, you know, um, so I'd have good technique for the videos. But while doing that, I started to, uh, I guess you say, uh, find rediscover my relationship with the water. Um, started to, um, I guess you could say, remember all the good moments that happened mm -hmm. between the big moments, right? Because because uh, sport has so many small moments that lie between the big moments, right? And very few big uh, moments, right? Yeah. So like a lot of times, it's just you know your connections with people, um, you know, just mm -hmm. other things. Um, but I was really surprised at how good I was feeling in the water as well. Um, because in those seven years, I might not have been swimming, but I was lifting a lot of weight. I put on almost 20 pounds of muscle uh, during that time. And I started to get curious that if I, if my technique feels this on point, all right, and you, you could talk that up to maybe because I've been teaching it so much. So I'm like even like more in touch with, with, uh, you know, the small details, but if I'm also that much stronger, how could I apply those two and, uh, and come out of retirement? So I started like reaching out to uh, former competitors of mine, like Brett Hawk is the one of the world's top uh, sprint coaches. Now, uh, Bruno Fratis, uh, who won ended up winning the bronze medal in Tokyo in the 50 meter free, um, American Anthony Irvin, who actually won gold in Sydney retired. Um, you know, he, he went through his own personal struggles, came back and won the gold medal again in 2016. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, they were all kind of, um, as you say, my confidence builders and uh, it were kind of egged me on to do it. And then I finally reached out to some in Canada and, um, yeah, they were, they were really excited, but I want to say something that, um, cause I know a lot of people when they're trying to, when they, when they have to ask somebody for permission or something, you know, they, or, you know, if they're asking for a raise or something, mm. they always come up with the reasons why the person's going to say no. And they, they scare themselves into never asking the question. Mm. Right. Well, I had every reason why the swimming Canada was going to say no to me. You know, I could right. have been too old, um, you know, been out of the water for far too long. They want to focus on the new generation, the younger swimmers uh, coming up. Uh, maybe they just don't have money to support my training, you know, or the resources. Yeah. Maybe they don't have space in the, in the high performance centers. I, I came with all these reasons, but it's like, you know, but I'm never going to know that answer if, uh, if I don't, uh, if I don't ask. So I sent off that email and, uh, the next day I, I got an email back and it was a big and enthusiastic. Yes. And the rest was history. That's a very cool story. And then actually you, you, I think you touched on two interesting, uh, topics. One is just what you said that you always should ask the worst thing that can happen. They can say no, right? That's it. But at least you tried And the other thing I think is, is mental health, because obviously when you talk about sports, you talk about injuries and that's, that's a big part of sports, anything, any, anything, you know, competitive, you know, football, basketball, whatever the case may be. But what is now, I guess, in the forefront and I guess in maybe in the last 10, 15 years is mental health. When there's a lot of professionals talking about, like Kevin Love, for example, from the NBA, He's a big advocate of mental health and and talks about openly about his issues that he had in the past and probably to some extent still has it today. It's just this. I mean, I I've never been a professional um, in any sport, so I don't know the pressure that that you guys have to you know go through 
before games throughout the year, just get up every morning, go to practice, go practice in the afternoon, miss so many things with friends and family, whatever the case may be, because you're away competing. And that must have a huge burden on you. And that obviously affects your mental health as well. And I think it's it's really important that um, that guys like Kevin, like you, um, openly talk about that stuff and and you know kind of tell people that it's okay to 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 look for help or to talk to someone or 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 just to listen to well I don't know maybe this podcast or, or read an interview and 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 think about what what uh, what this means to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I think in 2012 um, or up until 2012, it wasn't something that I was willing to talk about publicly um, because. And I, I think the stigma uh, around mental health has gone uh, is, is, you know, it's deteriorating. Like it's, it's going away, like it becoming, you know, talking about is becoming more normal. So I'm glad that yeah. I can, um, again, help kind of push that because, you know, growing up as an athlete, you know, we, we are taught not to show our competitors any weaknesses. So right. any opportunity that uh, somebody can be seen as a weakness is, uh, is an opportunity for somebody to beat you. So a lot of times uh, you didn't even want your teammates to see your own weaknesses. So, um, we were kind of, um, I don't want to say we were told necessarily to bottle it up, but you know, it was definitely, um, definitely an attitude that you needed to, you needed to bottle it up and you needed to tough it out, especially as a guy, right? Like, like men right. were, we're, we're not supposed to allow ourselves to, to be emotional like that. Um, and, but when you do that, it just, it just eats you up inside and it's going to end up. It's going to end up coming out eventually, but it's not going to come out in the form that you want it to. It could come out, you know, in, in anger or sometimes, uh, God forbid, you know, physical violence against somebody else, especially a loved one. Right. Like um, so it's it's not just important for you um, to to seek help for, for your own health, but it's important for you to seek help for those around you um, as well. So absolutely. And we've I think we've seen this from um, when well, Naomi Osaka, she had this. Um, she stepped down right from a tennis match because of the pressure from the media. Simone Biles from the from the, um, the U.S. team. Um, she stepped down like in Tokyo. Uh, a couple of the the finals. Yeah, it's a very very important issue, and it's really as I said, it's really cool that you guys are are openly talking about this and 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 raising the awareness. Um, listen, um, so you were as you said, you were a member of the the team, um, the Beijing team in two thousand eight, right? And yeah. So you qualified the first, a third fastest, I think, um, one place ahead of Michael Phelps, uh, but then you did not compete in the semifinals. So my semi-serious question is, how does it feel to be faster than Michael Phelps? <laughs> yeah, I think I was in the, I think I was in the two hundred free, but yeah, no, it, uh, yeah, the two hundred free start. Yeah, um, yeah, I ended up not swimming it, swimming it in the semifinal because I actually believe that. Um, it was important for me to kind of protect my best medal chances. And that was the, the 100 meter freestyle as well as the men's four by 200 yeah. freestyle relay. And I think ultimately that's kind of why I misjudged the semifinal and the hundred free, because I had the four by 200 freestyle that night. Yeah. So I was thinking like, Oh, I don't need to give a hundred percent. You know, I'm, I'm good enough to, to still just get a lane. But, uh, you know, in that moment, uh, you know, I guess there were just a bunch of other guys that just wanted it a little bit more than me at that moment. Right. Yeah. So you got to remember like you, you got to swim for those opportunities. Like they're not just going to be given to you just because right. you're, you know, you're good enough. Right. So that was a, that was a huge lesson for me, but in the hundred meter free, so I don't know, I've always, uh, I've always kind of considered the hundred free more my event than it is, uh, than it was Michael's. Like I've, I've beaten him more in the hundred meter free than, uh, than he beat me. You know, I mean, starting, 
probably at the 2005 World Championships, um, you know, not not a place worth bragging about. But you know, I was six and he was seventh. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, we we both uh, both of our hundred meter freestyles definitely improved. Uh, you know, and then um, you know, I think the big moment, uh, one that was really popular back home in Canada, was I was at uh, the Santa Clara Grand Prix. And we were essentially going head to head and and I won, he was second. And then Nathan Adrian, who went on to become the, the London 2012 gold medalist, was the was the third place uh, medalist in that one. So I have a great photo of the three of us and Nathan's got like the biggest smile on his face. Uh, so it's like th- those are those are memories that that I um, that I really enjoy. Um, you know, it's like when you're up on the podium and no matter who wins, you're all kind of there just having a good time and you right. know, you're, you can all be friends uh, after the after the competition. So um, but then at the 10, 2010 Pan Pacific Championships, we were both leading off our relay, um, and I think he uh, he outtouched me by like maybe five one hundredths, crazy or something like that. So yeah, and that was in front of a in front of an American crowd too. So he got a pretty he got a pretty big applause. I mean, one another thing you share is not only obviously the love for swimming, but also for a special brand, which we talk about down the line in the podcast yeah uh, michael and you that is so what are your memories of the of the beijing games because uh, i think for the, a lot of people that that were there they said it was something special compared to obviously sydney and athens and um is did you feel that it was different than all the games i'm used to not been in sydney but you've been in athens four years earlier as a rookie as you said but what was it like to be in, in beijing in those times i mean um being in beijing it was definitely exciting um like, I mean, it's always exciting when you're at the Olympics, regardless of where they are. I mean, uh, I know the games had a lot of uh, negative press about whether or not, uh, you know, the country should have been hosting the Olympics and all that. But like my job as an athlete is like, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to be getting involved, like, with, you know, with the politics and um, in, in that sort of sense. So, you know, I'm supposed to just go there and to compete and represent my country as best as I can, because, uh, you know, the reason why the Olympics were created in the first place was a way for countries to compete peacefully, you know, uh, coming together. Right. And, uh, right. you know, I, sometimes I think it's important for the athletes to be able to, to do that. But, uh, but, you know, me personally, Beijing was, was a huge disappointment just because, you know, I was world champion the year before, you know, or I should say co-world champion with uh, Italy's Filippo Magnini. See, Italy just keeps coming up in my story. You know? <laughs> um, even in my, my wife's story too, uh, she was, she won the Zacchino Doro festival, um, when she was like, uh, eight or nine, uh, back in 1986 with her song, Vola Palambella. And our, uh, our chiropractor here on the team actually remembered the song. Uh, so that was, that was really cool. So I was like going to those games expecting to medal, but you know, I ended up, uh, walking out of there without one, even though when I let off our relay, the four way 100 free, I let off in a time that had I been in the final, I actually would have, uh, that time there would have been a bronze medal. And I knew I would actually would have been faster than that even. So there's a chance that I could have been the guy fighting for the gold medal there. Mm. Um, and what I remember the most about that race was the feeling of having to watch that final from the stands and thinking how it was my fault, the mistake that I made, that is the reason why I wasn't down there. And I'm pretty sure I was the only swimmer or sorry, only person in the entire stands or in the stadium that didn't want to be in the seat that I was in because (laughs) my back was in uh, Kobe Bryant's back. Oh, Wow. Kobe was sitting right in front of me, and then next to him uh, was LeBron James, and on the other side of him was Jason Kidd. So 
people were lining up for autographs, but I, I never asked them for an autograph. I didn't even talk to them. I was just so angry that I couldn't even appreciate that moment. Well, that's what I want. Like, I, I mean, you have a cool story to tell, obviously. But yeah, I guess at that moment, that was frustration, right? But now thinking mm -hmm. back and knowing what you know after 2012 and so on, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, if I if I choose to sit behind Kobe or, or compete. Obviously, if you're an athlete, you want to compete all the time, right? And, and he was yeah. the type of athlete who wanted to compete, just like Michael Jordan, as the story is going, every time with anyone and everyone. Oh, absolutely. I think if it was any other day, any other time, <laughs> any other situation, I would have been through the... You know, I would well, it would have been amazing. Now I did get a photo with Kobe later on. We ended up uh, at the same um, same athletes uh, party, mm -hmm. so so I got a photo with him. Uh, I couldn't get LeBron uh, into the photo, but uh, um, yeah. So th that was uh, so I, I got to make up make up for it a little bit. But um, I think the thing that just made uh, Beijing even just more depressing though was uh, I don't want to talk about it too much, but like how how badly I actually did in Athens, right? Like, uh, not only did I swim poorly in Athens, but, you know, I actually got arrested in Athens. That's something that a lot of people don't really remember. Yeah, this is something I, I wanted to ask about. I was not really sure if I should touch this topic, to be honest, because I, I read the whole story as much as obviously there's, there's out there. Because, um, you know, that's, what is that, four years earlier, and you're, you're a rookie, as yeah. you said, you're 20 years old. And this is just a crazy incident right you were mistaken because yeah. you're wearing a black t-shirt as far as i as i understood and you were bold oh well, i didn't have a shaved head yet I, I still had some hair okay yeah i was just you know i was wearing a wearing a black shirt and i was uh i was tall so i was kind of standing out in the crowd and uh we were just out in a really popular um area of, of downtown athens at night because this was a week after we were done competing Mm -hmm. uh so you know we we're doing what athletes do we go we celebrate you know we have a few drinks um and we're we're trying to figure out where we're going to go and next thing you know like we get to an intersection we we look left and there's just a line of riot police uh, down there and we're like why are there riot police here right and they're all like standing mm -hmm. shoulder to shoulder and you know shield to shield they all got their you know their helmets on like they're they're ready to go And next thing we know, the crowd that, you know, of all the locals, they started uh, pulling dumpsters into the middle of the streets and just picking things off the ground, like, you know, rocks and bottles or whatever other kind of garbage. And they just wow. started throwing it at the police. So the police, um, they just started charging us. Like, I just, I remember the sound of the, you know, like their war cry. As, as they started like charging towards us and you could hear um, you could hear like the pop 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 of uh, the rubber bullets yeah. so we knew like we had to get out of there so our group like we ran um, we ran down the street and ran through a doorway to try to just get out of the street you know we don't want to get hit by something um, and as soon as we got in the doorway you know I, I thought I was safe. Uh, so I stopped um, trying to cram in like everybody was doing the same thing. So like, you couldn't get in very far. Mm -hmm. And so I just stopped. And next thing I know, this hand reaches over my shoulder, grabs me by the shirt. And I get dragged, um, dragged out of the door. And I got thrown face down into the street. And they beat the crap out of me <laughs> for like three or four minutes. Um, the other athlete, like I didn't, I couldn't count, um, I couldn't count how many people were, like how many police officers were, were beating me, but the other athlete said there was five of them mm -hmm. beating me at once. And, you know, I just remember getting, uh, could feel the kicking from, you know, their steel toed boots, uh, 
just getting whacked with the batons over and over. So I'm actually, um, I'm face down and I'm, I've got my arms over my head trying to protect my head, but I had my athlete accreditations uh, tucked in my pocket, wow. right? Cause I had a, then I had the lanyard um, attached to my belt loop, you know, cause you can't lose that thing. That is your lifeline at the Olympics. You lose that. You can't get into the village. Right. Um, so with one arm protecting my head, I reached into my pocket and I pulled it out and I held it above my head to, um, to show that I was an athlete and one of them rips it off and threw it, threw it away. Crazy. Right. And they just continued to beat me. So even after I showed I was an athlete, uh, wasn't resisting at all. Like I'm literally face down, just trying to not like trying to protect myself. Right. Um, they didn't care that I was an Olympic athlete and just continued to, to beat me. Um, eventually they, when they stopped, I just put my hands behind my back. So what stopped them or, or I think they just had enough. had enough. I think they figured they just hit, they just hit me enough. Jesus. So they, they cuffed me, they lift, lifted me up uh, by the handcuffs um, and were like pushing me down the street. And this one officer walks towards me and he, he screams something in my face in Greek spits in my face and then punches me in the groin. <laughs> and then they push me down the street again, a little further to the next uh, corner, pushed me around the corner, and then they threw me head first into the building. And they just kept bringing in new people that they were arresting and just throwing them on top of me, essentially. And I couldn't, I couldn't talk to anybody. Every time I tried to ask if anybody spoke English, uh, they would just yell at me and hold a can, can of pepper spray uh, in my face. Luckily, they never used it. But uh, after about, I think about forty or forty-five minutes or so, they just um, the one guy that spoke English just comes over, takes my handcuffs off, and he says, sorry, you were tall and wearing a dark shirt. Wow. And uh, luckily, one of the other athletes, the other athletes were basically waiting there with me. Um, one of them picked up my accreditation, so so I got that back. Um, but it's, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, this was 2004, so nobody, you know, cell phone cameras didn't exist, so we right, didn't have right. any evidence that this happened because, you know, I went to the embassy the next day. I actually went to the polyclinic to make sure my arm wasn't broken because I couldn't move it looked like the bone was sticking through the skin. Uh, but it, luckily it was just uh, extreme swelling. Um, yeah, I went to the embassy. We all gave our statements and everything. And the Greek, um, the Greek government's official statement was that it was a peaceful demonstration with no arrests or injuries. Man. Yeah. And he told me without, without any photos, I wouldn't have a case. Yeah. I almost quit swimming after that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's what to say. That was, <laughs> that was your first Olympic games, 2004 yeah. at the age of 20. Welcome to Europe. Welcome to the games. Yeah, lifelong dream, and it was the worst experience ever. Not only did I, I let my relay, I felt like I feel like I let my relay team down in the four by two hundred. So I feel like uh, I'm a reason why we didn't medal there. And then, uh, and then that incident, like I was like, why do I want to keep going? I mean, I have to tell you, dude, I was uh, I was preparing for a, a cool chat. It got deep really yeah. fast. And I, <laughs> I appreciate your I, no, no, absolutely not. I, I appreciate your honesty and and. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we just talked about mental health. I guess that's that's also a big part of uh, of why you felt what you felt. P probably, I'm not sure. I'm obviously not a not a specialist, but wow, that's some crazy story. Crazy yeah. So story. you like think like the the weight that was weighing on me in London like started from having feeling like uh, I had something to prove um, after those games uh, as gotcha. well. Gotcha. Well, finally, uh, we arrived to London 2012, right? Yeah. And um, where you win bronze medal in the, in the 100 meter freestyle. Talk to us about the, you know, the experience from the moment like you emerge from the water 
after the race, the feelings you had on the, all the way on the podium and everything in between? Like what went yeah. through you after all of this craziness that happened to you in the last 10 years? When I, when I touched the wall, um, I turn around, I look up at the, I look up at the, uh, the time board and without my glasses, it's uh, numbers that can be kind of fuzzy. So like, like i i kind of squinted for a moment because i couldn't tell if there was a three or an eight <laughs> beside beside my name and i didn't want to celebrate them find out that i got last you know uh so i kind of held off for a second and then when, when i realized that you know i'm that i got third i was you know threw my arm up in the air smashed the water like i was, I was super excited and then i look over and i see that my friend nathan adrian uh won the gold medal and yep. so I, got, I was super happy for him so i actually um we actually uh, swam over the lane ropes and met at the lane between us um, in, you know, in front of uh, Sebastian uh, for sure in there and, uh, you know, gave each other a, a big hug because, you know, we'd be, we'd compete so, so many times with him, you know, me being Canadian, being American, we've met at yeah. so many swim meets just, uh, just back home. So to be able to stand on that podium uh, together w was really exciting. But when I was getting out of the water, like I was trying to pull myself up and then my legs just collapsed. <laughs> I, I couldn't pull my legs in. So I just, I just sat on the edge of the pool deck and just put my head in my hands and just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to just pop, like um, absorb kind of uh, what happened. And then the, I remember the official kind of was like, uh, excuse me, you have to go. <laughs> like we've got more Olympics. So after that, I walk over and um, I walk behind uh, the lane seven starting block and I gave it a big kiss because uh, my start was something I've been working on a lot. I was known to not have a very good start. And my semifinal start was not very good at all. So I was yeah. like, okay, mentally, what am I going to fix between the semifinal and the final? And I ended up having it um, up until then was the best, uh, the best uh, start of, of my career, which gave what, which put me in position to, uh, to win that medal. So, um, so I gave it a kiss and it's funny, actually, uh, Bruno Fratis, after he won his bronze medal in the 53, uh, he did the same thing. Uh, although it was the fifties, so technically his block was at the other end, um, but he gave his uh, his block a big uh, a big kiss too. So, um, and then you know, getting onto the podium, throwing my arms up in the air, like there there's so many emotions that that you run through. Uh, like there's you know you're incredibly proud of the moment, like you know because you're you're achieving a lifelong dream. You you've dreamed of this moment the whole time. Then also there's a moment where you also think about the people that helped you get there. Right. Because, you know, you see the athletes there and, you you know, you don't see uh, everybody else that helped you get there, whether it's, you know, your coach that that's there. Like, look, like for me, like my coach was actually uh, he's my coach at the Olympics uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, all the club coaches, you know, I, I had through all the years, um, all the parents that, you know, helped volunteer at all the swimmies to make sure the swimmies happened. Uh, you know, my parents were helping drive me or somebody else's parents, you know, driving me to and from practice when my parents weren't able to, you know, if my dad was at work or whatever. And, uh, right. Like there are so many people that were responsible, uh, for that, for that journey. And, uh, you know, also like, you know, got, you know, thinking about my then fiance, you know, as we were getting married a week later. Right. Um, yeah, like, like so many people that, that you started thinking about in such a short amount of time. Did you have family around in London? Did they manage to, to, to fly out and see you? Uh, no, it was just my fiance um, in the stands there. So it was but, uh, my family. Um, yeah, my family. They went to the Athens and the uh, and the Beijing games, mm -hmm. but uh, they didn't. They didn't come. Uh, I actually asked them not to come to the London games. Okay. Um, I just didn't want the uh, the added pressure. 
mm-hmm. um, with gotcha. with all the weight I was already feeling at the game. So that that was a tough decision actually, and a tough and a tough conversation to make because my parents had actually already bought their tickets. But I realized that you know I had to I had to protect my performance and you know mm-hmm. and my my headspace. So I had to tell them you know get a refund on those tickets because I'm sorry I don't <laughs> want you guys there. But uh, that that was a decision uh, that I'd make, and it turned out to be the right one. Yeah, I mean, congrats on that. It's it's a very very cool story. Um, well, listen, I'm Hungarian, right? So if if uh, if I talk with a swimmer, I have to bring in um, a fellow Hungarian. Um, when I was doing some research on on this interview, um, I came across an article. <laughs> um, so I need to mention uh, Laszlo Che. I don't know if how much you remember him or you know him, but oh yeah, Laszlo, yeah. You uh you competed. I mean, we got the same him. haircut. Exactly. So uh, he's a few years younger than you, I think, and um and his game was also his first game was also in Athens in two thousand and four. And I read this, I find this article, and if you mind, I just um so this article is um, Hungarian Olympic icon Laszlo Cseh retires from competitive swimming. That doesn't really matter. But then at the bottom there's the comments, and <laughs> there's a guy who says. Um, who says, bless you, big man, I will continue to shave my head in honor of you. Congrats on such a historic career. And another guy says, I wonder if you will be the last elite swimmer not to wear a cap in competition. Old-timers like me can really appreciate that. And so the answer comes, I mean, wouldn't that be Brent Hayden? <laughs> so yeah. you are the 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 guy, the only guy who's still active, who's shaving his head and not wearing a cap. So that's the that's the connection, the Hungarian connection that comes between Laszlo yeah, and you. Well, like, there's actually... Um... There, I actually saw another swimmer in uh, in Tokyo with um, who, who didn't have any hair. I'll be honest, I, I forget his first name, but his last name was Matson. Uh, I think he was a Finnish swimmer in the mm-hmm. breaststroke, and, and he medaled. And I was like, "Hey, that guy stole my haircut." <laughs> but I, I not only did I notice like you know the hair too, but also um, the last name Matson because on my on my mother's side, uh, my mother's side is Swedish, mm-hmm. and we have Matsons um, in in. The family, so I almost wonder, like, wonder if we're like distant relatives related. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my hair come definitely comes from my dad's side, so definitely couldn't say that was from my mom's side. But yeah, yeah, you never know. So, uh, so when eventually when I do retire, uh, there'll be there will be another uh, bald swimmer uh, still in the pool. I think that's that's, that's good. Somebody keeps on yeah. tradition. Well, because even before me, it was Michael Klim, right? So right, true. Always, yeah, always got to be one. Right and and yeah and then and then Charlotte and you 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 as I said roughly the same age you're thirty eight he's thirty five or thirty six and he he started with you in Athens and he just he had just had his last uh, Olympics just like you in Tokyo well I mean not I'm not sure if you're done but he's definitely he's definitely done well we'll see we'll see if he we'll see if we can get him out of retirement well, we'll see. yeah we'll see we'll see but we talked a lot you know a lot about the Olympics and but of course there's it's not your only stomping ground like the Olympic games and. As a matter of fact, I looked up your um, medals, and you have seven gold medals, fourteen silvers, and five bronze, um, according to FINA. And this is FINA and Olympics combined. So, you know, I know it's a cliche question, right? But what's the most memorable one aside from the Olympics? Because we kind of covered that already. Yeah, the other most memorable one would be the 2007 uh, World Championship gold medal. Um, and it's not because it was a world championship gold medal. Um, cause like, I think that's, you know, obviously that's, well, yeah, you're a world champion. Of course, of course that's sure. memorable. And yeah, of, you know, those moments, that moment was memorable because of that, but not only because of that, um, this was actually, it was, so it was a week. 
sorry, not a week. It was well, about two weeks before the the match. So it was the the night before I was actually um, to get on the plane to fly to Australia. Um, I got a call from my parents, uh, and they said I needed to come to the hospital because my grandfather was dying. Um, like he had been in, um, you know, in the care there for for a while. Um, gone visit him many times, but I think, but this was like okay, he, you know. So got in the car, um, drove drove out there, and there was a he was in the bed, he was asleep. Um, my dad um, had a chair next to the bed, and he just said, "Oh, he's probably not going to wake up, but just just sit here and just spend some time with him because he's." probably not going to be here when when you come home so i'm sitting there and you know got memories of um going through my head of us um you know when we were kids um you know with him you know all those memories um you know it was him and uh, and grandma who you know had passed years earlier you know taking us to, like the science world and you know playing a joke you know where he like you know make his dentures like fall out in front of us and we <laughs> just we thought it was just like the funniest thing ever um you know, or like uh, putting, you know, I had like a, you know, like a styrofoam airplane that I broke and he like, he took it down to like his tool shop and like put it in like his vice and, you know, got like his all big tools and he's like pretending to like to fix it and, and stuff. Um, you know, like, like all, all these really cool memories. Right. And, but I'm thinking like, but if he does wake up, like, what am I going to say to him? And while I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about it. He, um, he actually opens his eyes and, and he looks at me. It's like, it's almost as like, it's almost as if he, he heard me say that. Um, and I just blurted out the first thing that, that came to my head. And I was grandpa, I'm going to the world championships tomorrow. I'm going to win you a medal. Hmm. And I just remember seeing the smile um, cross his face and can't imagine, uh, you know, being in that moment and, you know, realizing that, you know, you're you're in your you're on your last breath and you have you had a moment where you could smile all right so so really thankful i was able to do that for him um and i i got the news from my coach after training one day uh, shortly after maybe like four or five days that he had passed away hmm. and I realized like the weight of this promise that that i'd made him um like so like i remember the my nerves waiting for the bus at the hotel, waiting to go to the pool for the final. And like, that was the most nervous I, I had ever been. My heart was literally going to jump out of my rib cage. My, like I couldn't feel my hands and my feet. They were just totally numb. Like I had the worst cotton mouth. Um, I've described it as it felt like the, the whole bus ride. I felt like I was like going to my death. That's like, I was, I was petrified of of going to the pool um you know going through the warm-up and everything um you know it just never settled down and i remember waiting in the, the last ready room and hearing them call your name and you walk out onto the pool deck and because this was at the rod labor arena where they held the uh the australian open tennis uh the pool was built on top of the tennis court and the, the last ready room was actually down on the ground at, a, at the tennis court level and we had to walk up the stairs you know mm -hmm. alongside of the pool there was a, a hole in the in the deck, so we walk out out of the deck um, out into the audience. And you know, and Australians are crazy for swimming. Yeah. And so I remember just like looking up those stairs and just and just seeing the light and hearing the roar every single swimmer that comes up there. And I was just like, I was just petrified. 
Just like I was, I was so scared. And they called my name. I walk up there, and normally I'd be thinking about okay, thinking about like, you know, visualizing a race, thinking about the dive. You know, what am I going like? How am I going to hold the water on the first stroke? My flip turns. You know, uh, keywords I'm going to have for when the pain starts kicking in. I need to find that uh, that extra gear. But all I could think about was uh, this promise that I made my grandfather. Um, I don't really remember the first length um, that much. I, th I think my memories are more of what I've seen on YouTube um, of the race. But my memory of the race itself uh, comes in when I had about 25 meters left in the race and my body is screaming in pain because, uh, you know, you pass your anaerobic threshold. Uh, you know, your, your muscles aren't getting enough oxygen and you're trying to stay on your stroke rate. You're trying to keep your stroke rate up. You're trying to keep a hold on the water and Bize is screaming in pain. And I just reminded myself um, about the promise. And I, I said, um, you know, you basically, you just made the most impossible promise you've ever made. You better go. All right. Of course, when you have these thoughts, there's actually no words to it. It's just a, it's just a thought that's, you know, what happened. I think that's what it would have been if I had put words to it. And when I had, when I had that thought, the pain kind of took like a back seat, you know, it mm. kind of described as like, you know, um, you know, it's there or you are aware of it, but it, but it's in the back seat now. Yeah. Right. So we could, so I drove in, got my hand on the wall and I turned around and it's kind of like what happened in London. I turned around and I squint, I'm looking at the board. I'm like, is that a seven or a one? <laughs> Right. And for a moment, I actually thought it was a seven. Um, and I, I saw, I knew Filippo Magnini, who was in the lane next to me, because I was in lane six, he was in lane five. I knew Filippo Magnini won because he was already celebrating. And so I squinted at the board a little bit more. And then I, then I realized that, um, that we had tied uh, mm -hmm. for the gold medal. And I mean, if you ever watch the video on YouTube, like, you know, I've, I have a pretty colorful uh, reaction, but it wasn't just the fact that, you know, I was world champion. It's like, I just fulfilled the most difficult promise I was ever going to, uh, ever going to make. And of course, you know, looking back on it, I was like that, that also, we actually, uh, me and Filippo kind of like, our stories kind of, uh, two were forever fused after that moment. Cause whenever they mentioned me, they always have to mention, uh, Filippo and, uh, and vice versa. So it's always been, uh, that's always been a kind of like a special thing that sort of happened. It was the first time in world world championship history that two swimmers tied for the gold medal. So I mean, again, I thought uh, we're not getting getting any more emotional than that, but I have to say that uh, the first part of your story about about you seeing your granddad, I lost my grandfather in April, and I'm I live in Germany, and he was in Hungary, so obviously it was uh, it was due to co or complications due to COVID. And uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. So I was I, I I can relate to that part of the story for sure because I wasn't able to see him, and um, he really passed away within a day. Um, and I have similar memories, obviously, of me being a kid, and so I I can I can definitely uh, relate to that. So that's um, well, thanks for sharing this story with us. It's really um, really something special, I guess. Or, oh, you're, yeah, you're welcome. I hope that it can help others uh, who may have lost a loved one. Uh, you know, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's. Uh, I guess let's uh, let's find some some uh, some more pleasant topics. Uh, um, listen, 
I mean, it's a pleasant topic to win a world champion, right? It's just yeah. Um, wow, it's it's but it's a it's a beautiful story. So, but so you you grew up in in Mission, right, in British Columbia, yeah, which is like close to Vancouver, but you're like also not too far from Seattle. I think it's like a two hour drive or two and a half hours from from Seattle. I mean, from Mission to Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Like if there was no border, um, then yeah, it would probably be like a two hour drive. But sometimes that border can be half the drive. You have right. waiting <laughs> for two hours too. Right, but so both cities had some like. Like iconic teams in the 90s and early 2000s especially basketball if you think about the supersonics yeah vancouver grizzlies and seattle sonics exactly exactly so uh, you know and, and not to mention that obviously you're canadian which equals hockey so oh, of course <laughs> is vancouver there any Canucks, right so is there any major league affiliation you already said it with nhl nba baseball or football um I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Canucks fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some sometimes that's painful because uh, I think we're the oldest team to never win a Stanley Cup. But I take <laughs> solace in the fact that the last time the Toronto Maple Leafs won a Stanley Cup was before Vancouver was in the league. So <laughs> that's. Uh, I mean, as much as I, I love Toronto, you know, obviously I represent the Toronto Titans. Right. But when it comes to uh, when it comes to hockey, there's always uh, you got to throw in that friendly, uh, <laughs> you know, um, banter back back and forth. Right? It's just it just comes with the territory. Right. Right. No, but then, but then the Grizzlies is. I think, I guess it kind of disappeared for a while, and now with the new, you know, with the, I mean the the reedition of the jerseys, this old Vancouver Grizzlies jersey came back with the with the typical models of the of the of the um of the old team, and I think there's yeah. a, a whole new generation starting to look into that. What is that jersey? What is this? What are these these these? Oh yeah, I remember when they on. came out like the um like the turquoise blue with the, right. with the grizzly holding the basketball and the um and the I think it was like um uh, like indigenous art exactly all around the yeah on all around the the collar there. We like everyone's like oh my god that's so ugly, but now we're looking I'm like oh man that that jersey is so sweet right yeah um I've I've been tempted to uh, to go out and and. Uh, and pick up a jersey, but it's like you know. But which jersey do you get? Do you get a you know big country Reeves jersey, or you get a? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, right or Abdul Jabbar, right? Like, like what do you get? Um, yeah, it's yeah, a tough so, one. I would get big country. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a cool era in basketball. Well, um, Brent, man, you're you're you know you're something of a renaissance man, right? Because you obviously you're a swimmer, but you got a black belt in karate, as far as. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how good, how um, how useful that'll be now because that was that was a long time ago. But like you know, karate definitely helped uh, helped me become a better swimmer. Um, mm. like it was a huge in my development. Of, you know, a lot of physically, I was you mm. know because I grew so quickly, so I was like a really lanky kid. I didn't know how to move my own body. My proprioception was terrible. Um, so it helped me learn how to move within my body, but also like you know the dis- the the self discipline aspect mm-hmm. of it as well. I kind of developed that. Um, that warrior's mindset that that sort of uh, some people say that the Zen warrior, mm-hmm. right? And I started to apply that to my swimming. So it's like literally, you can look at my um, my improvements in swimming. It literally, like coincided exactly with the time that I uh, that I started karate. Well, I mean, the black belt is is something else. I mean, that's you know that's yeah. not your average average guy who goes to yeah. karate lessons. But then you also have your own clothing brand. Uh, we don't anymore, actually. Don't. Uh, that that was um, yeah. We did that for a while. So like the thing that was really interesting about that was the um, so you know I, I had the tattoo of the um, the three stars on my torso, mm-hmm. and I actually took that from karate um, because that we had three stars, uh, three small stars on our crest, and they symbolize uh, they symbolize many things. But one of the, the one of the things that that uh, stuck with me was this battle of the mind, the body, and the soul. 
right? They're not always in balance, right? They're constantly struggling, constantly pulling, pulling at each other, right? Um, so when my uh, when my sensei uh, passed away, I kind of got that to sort of um, memorize um, that lesson that you know that I got from him, and because uh, I, I think that's probably uh, mentally it was like and you know emotionally, spiritually the uh, the lesson that from karate that I took and uh, and helped me succeed in in my swimming, and so I wanted to kind of uh, take that message with me. So when we did the clothing line, it was more about um, being a vessel to kind of carry that that message. So when people wear it, they kind of uh, they're kind of wearing that message and feeling like uh, you know um, to overcome challenge, you know, from from within and uh, you know fight, you know, that mind, body, and soul uh, fight. Um, unfortunately, like you know, it's just realizing you know with uh, entrepreneurship, you know. Um, manufacturing and you know the, the the cost and marketing and everything was just uh it, it was it was a huge huge lesson um and but we we learned a lot from it so it's actually helping us with our new business uh you know swimming secrets but uh yeah that was it was fun when when we did it and we never know like we might uh we might take another uh stab at it and uh, you know apply the lessons that uh that we learned because you know pe people loved it and they loved the message mm. behind it i think that the message is more important than uh, than the logo all right but yeah and they said the clothes the clothes were great too we had five star reviews except for one four star review right so <laughs> we, we, we made good stuff you should definitely bring that back but then you're also a photographer yeah and you got a, a pretty badass Hasselblad, as far as I can tell, by your Instagram, which is, I mean, your your photo, um, you have your own photography Instagram account, which is Brand Hidden Photography. Yeah. Beautiful pictures. And I, I really like that camera. Um, so that's that's something you don't really see too often, right? You see this, the usual Sony A7s and stuff, and not the Hasselblad. I mean, I guess it's showing my age a little bit, because, you know, when I first started uh, doing photography, it was back in high school. I mean, I, I mean, I had an interest in photography when I was a kid, you know, borrowing my parents' uh old Canon camera with all the different lenses and, and stuff. Um, but I, I really got into it in high school because we had a photography class. We had a dark room. So we learned, we, so we learned how to shoot film and develop all your own photos. Like, yo, uh, the dark room was like one of my, one of my favorite places uh, to be uh, at school. But of course, you know, after I left high school, I didn't have a dark room. Uh, the world was going digital. So I got into digital photography for a bit, but there was something about film photography that kept drawing me back. And, you know, I can talk about the quality of the images and, and, uh, and things like that, or, you know, but I, I think for me, this, um, you know, with, with digital cameras, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly glued to our screens everywhere. We look, we're on screens. Like you and me, we're looking at each other through a screen uh, right now. We've, some people have uh, smartwatches, you know, they've got screens on their wrists everywhere. Um, you know, I've got a, a screen in my pocket uh, everywhere I go. And then pulling out a camera, looking at, a, at another screen there too, and then taking those images back home, uploading them onto the computer. I'm now looking at another screen. All right. um, it, it, I felt like um, there was something about film photography, um, the whole process that is lost um, mm -hmm. with with digital. It's um, you know the uh, the I want to say like the emotion, but the connection to uh to the image because you know you got you got a memory card with you know 500 megabytes on it and you go out you could be you could just you know fire off like a thousand photos yeah but if you go out with a roll with yeah. only 12 frames on it yeah you're gonna take your time you're gonna you're, you're gonna zen out right it's all yeah there's no electronics involved i mean no i guess that's where you connect with with the last topic is that you you're slowly becoming a bit of a watch nerd, and the, I mean watches are that you're wearing <laughs> is also a mechanical thing, right? Yeah. It's yeah. you have your smart watches, you have your Apple Watch, whatever the case may be, whether you yeah. want to call yeah. them a watches or not, that's a different story. But then 
but then you have this mechanical thing on your wrist that you wind, or if it's automatic, it winds itself, and then it's running, and it's it's uh you know enclosed in this little steel box strapped on your wrist, and um, I guess that's where uh, yeah I'm 37, you're 38. That's probably the the mindset where. Uh, mm-hmm. comes with age i'm not sure but listen let's talk a bit about watches then because I, I so as far as i know and you 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 walk us through the collection i know you three watches that you own all from the same brand we kind of mentioned the yeah. brand it's obviously if you're an olympian you have to have this brand right at one point especially if swimmers yeah. swimmers are, so for some reason yeah. they're really drawn to this brand um well, I mean, think, think of it this way our biggest moments are measured by True. Omega. Omega. Right. That's the brand. That's the brand. So, um, Sorry, I spoiled it for everyone. No, that's not, I mean, <laughs> come on. It's uh, Fratello watches and wasp is pretty much, um, one of our, our brands that we often mention is, is Omega. Um, and not only that, but, um, but you have, I guess, two of the most iconic Omegas, right? Two, two different models. Um, you know, why don't you walk us through your, your collection and talk a bit about yeah. the pieces. Well, I'll make, make a quick little note. Like one of the reasons like uh, why I was so drawn to Hasselblad and this particular Omega watch was because as a kid, I was obsessed with space. All right. There you go. Like I loved, um, you know, I was obsessed with the, with the lunar missions, you know, the mm-hmm. Apollo missions, uh, you know, Apollo 13 was my favorite movie when that came out. I could quote that movie front to back. Um, now, like I knew from as a kid, I wanted the camera that went to the moon. So mm-hmm. that was a Hasselblad. Right. And I wanted the watch that went to the moon, the Omega Speedmaster. And tick the boxes. Um, yeah. Um, now I've got my first Omega, which was the um, yes, the Seamaster uh, 300 uh, meter. Mm-hmm. I actually got that in 2005 uh, because Omega uh, at the time was sponsoring the, the award for Swimming Canada, the male swimmer of the year. They also did mm-hmm. female swimmer of the year, coach of the year. So if you won that, you got an Omega watch. Um, so that was a watch I, I won in 2005 um, uh, for my performances at the 2005 World Championships. Then in 2006, um, you know, won that for, I guess it was my, uh, my win at the Pan Pacific Championships or my silver medal at the Commonwealth Games that year. I can't remember exactly which one. But I remember walking up for the award, getting the, the red box, right the red omega box like opening it up and seeing the omega speedmaster professional um i i just about died <laughs> in that moment <laughs> right um because like because i knew that watch like i that the face of that watch was, was like was burned into my mind um like notably the the scene in Apollo 13 when um, they're putting on their flight suits before they get into the up onto the you know the Saturn V mm-hmm. uh, booster, and there's a close-up shot where they're strapping the Speedmaster yeah. over uh, yeah. um, the Tom Hanks's wrist, right? Yeah. Um, oh man, like that it like so so I know that watch. So when I saw that there, I was like, wow, okay. I didn't need to. Um, become an astronaut uh, to get to get that watch. Now they're saying they're, they don't have that watch anymore um, on the missions, but um, but how cool was it that I, I got that watch by becoming amazing at the thing that I actually love to do, and that's swimming. 
Indeed. All right. So it was just it was just interesting. Um, you know, there's there's that you know talk about like that whole law of attraction um thing. I don't know how much of it um I believe, but it's like, but it's hard it's hard to it's hard to say that I didn't get it because because I had put it out there into into the universe that I called that watch to me in a way. Yeah, it's a full circle, I guess. It feels like it. It feels like it. Um, you still have them? Oh yeah, have all of them. Um, and then in 2007, I actually got the same watch that I got in 2005. So I got another Omega <laughs> 300 M, the exact same watch. So so uh, I gifted that one uh, to my dad, and nice. that's the one I got for my world championship uh, title. Now he keeps not wearing it. Right? <laughs> I, I I ask him because like because I see him all the time. I'm like, why aren't you wearing your watch? He's like, well, I'm afraid of scratching it or something right. like that. Like, wear the watch. Right? Sure. It's meant to be worn. Like, just wear it for a special occasion or something. Like, he he's so scared to to uh, to damage. It. I'm like, just just wear it. Like, be be proud. Uh, be proud to wear it. Absolutely. So, uh, so ho- hopefully, if he hears this, he's gonna be like, you know what? Yeah, I got I got to start wearing that. Start wearing <laughs> that watch. Um, but when I um. But when I came out of retirement, um, you know, I, I feel like it's really important to reward yourself for milestones, mm-hmm. right? It, it helps it helps keep you motivated in life, right? Because mm-hmm. if you just let these milestones just come and go and, like, you don't do anything special for them, then, like, where's the – you kind of lose that motivation to go after the next thing, right? So right. Um, so when I came out of retirement and, and I saw that Omega was doing this special edition uh, Speedmaster set, you know, because I saw the I saw the other Tokyo 2020 Seamaster that they were coming out with. And I don't know, it wasn't really, uh, it was nice, but it, it wasn't really my favorite because the Speedmaster, like I'm, I'm a Speedmaster guy. That's my all-time favorite, obviously. Um, so when I saw that they were coming out with this, um, this Olympic set with each one based on the color of the Olympic rings, mm-hmm. um, said to my I you know first I had I asked my wife like <laughs> what do you think if if I make the olympics that that's my reward to myself and she's like definitely like nice. that is so you right so um yeah so I like I don't know how many times uh, I I looked at the images of of the watches um trying to decide like you know which one's my favorite and you know dreaming of how like you know what it would be like when I when I actually get it and I'm allowed to say which one which one I ended up with yet. You can, of course. I mean, I think now we're in the segment we can talk about watches, whatever, whenever. So just go for it. Yeah. So I I ended up getting the green bezel mm-hmm. with the uh, with the Sedna golden and, and the gray face. But I have to admit, it was at first it was not my favorite one. Okay. Um, it was probably I don't want to say it was my least favorite, but it was definitely definitely one of my least favorite ones when, when I first looked at them. Um, I don't know why there was just when it, when I first saw it, just um, it just kind of looked like a little like it was too much of a statement. I think um, with you know with with the gold, the, yeah. like the the, the, green. the gold, the yeah. green, the the gray face. Um, but then I was looking at the um, you know the the rising sun one, you know mm-hmm. the, the red bezel and the the white face, the white hands, and just like that sort of uh, it was sort of subtle, but in a strike, but that striking red. And I was thinking like, well, you know, with the Tokyo, with it being the Tokyo Olympics, it being the rising sun, you know, that'd be, uh, would probably be like, you know, an obvious choice. But then I really liked the, the yellow one, you know, the mm-hmm. black with the gold. Yeah. Um, now I love black and gold. Like when, uh, when we launched our Astro Athletic apparel company, everything was black and gold. Those were, those were our color schemes. So I was like, okay, that's, that's the one I'm going to get. And, but as the Olympics got closer, I, I just kept, catching myself staring at this green one and it just um 
I guess you could say like the specialness of it really mm -hmm. started to kind of uh, speak to me and just the way that, uh, you know, the colors actually did work together. And it really wasn't quite as much of like a, like an in your face statement uh, as, as I thought it was actually, I thought the gray was actually quite subtle. Yeah. When I got to the Olympics, um, we weren't allowed to leave the village, right? Like, so I couldn't go to the Omega store in Japan because it's a Japanese exclusive. Right. And, you know, it's it's only limited to to 2020 pieces uh, each each color. Um, so so I reached out to um, to someone on on Chrono 24 um, and I actually asked originally about buying the black and gold one. And we went back and forth for a few days and they sent me the payment details for the black and gold one. Finally, at that moment, I was like, you know what? Nope. Because I was like, I was about to do it. I was like putting in the credit card information. I was like, ah, oh, you know what? No, like something's just telling me this is wrong. <laughs> something's telling me I need to get the, uh, I need the green one. So canceled it, sent him a message like, can I get the green one? And so, so I got that one. Oh, I had to ask if they even had the green one, but uh, yeah. But you didn't get it in Japan, right? From a dealer in Japan. I got it from a dealer in Japan. Yeah. In Japan. I had, but I had to, yeah, but I had to have it shipped over. Ship, shipped to Canada. Yeah. So when I actually landed in back in Vancouver, uh, had my whole family there, right? Um, well, not my whole family. My sister, uh, my sister, and her like and her family weren't weren't uh, able to make it. But it was my mom and my dad, my wife, our dog Chewbacca. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they had the box sitting right there. And they had the one as well. It's part of they, the family. They had the, the, the shipping box, right? It was still like all taped up <laughs> with the shipping labels and everything. But I was like, why would you bring this? Like, because uh, by the time we get home, it's going to be, it's going to be too dark. Because I wanted to film the moment of me opening it. Mm. So, so I ended up not opening it up that night. And uh, I did it the next morning. I, I filmed a video of it, you know, when the sunlight was up. But yeah. man, it was, it was tough going to sleep that night. Like, like <laughs> not touching the box. Because I was like, my wife's like, well, what if you just open it now, see it, and then just close it up? And you're like, no, no, no. Because I want to, I want to film my genuine reaction when I actually, uh, actually open the box. Um, it was like, it was also like, I guess you could say it was kind of special. Like the other thing that kind of made it special was, you know, the other watches, you know, um, you know, I won them as awards. So, yeah, I, so I never, I never, I, don't, I didn't pay for those ones. So this, yeah. so this was the first Amiga that I actually made the decision to actually go purchase, uh, myself. And so there was, there was a kind of, um, there was a good feeling in that regard, um, as well mm -hmm. to be able to be at a, be, to be at a point in my life where. You know, I can actually purchase uh, an Omega, right? Yeah. Because I know there's probably you probably got a lot of listeners that are probably you know they're probably dreaming about being able to be in a position where they can purchase their own uh, as well. Indeed, it's a great feeling. It is, it is, and that's a special watch, as you said. It's a limited edition. All five of them, and the Rising Sun is probably the most known out of the five. But um, and and that that the second uh, second the market price is really crazy for that. But but in any case, I mean, an Omega, whether that's a Seamaster or a Speedmaster, is it's really a, a you know a pretty penny. So anybody who's who's able to afford it, I think that's that's a great feeling, and especially if it's connected to something like that. I mean, for you, it's once you guys listen to this, you know, the whole story, as you said, from 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 the Athens Olympics all the way to 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 um, Tokyo. It's really a, a crazy, crazy path that you've you've been through. So, what are you wearing now? Are you wearing that one, or are you just? Oh yeah, I have it here. I actually took it off while we were while we were talking, but uh, yeah, I've got I've got it right here. So that's your travel watch as well. Well, it's my travel one on this one because you know it's it's still new to me, so I want to mm. make sure uh, I haven't uh, 
yeah, it's this one's going everywhere with me. But uh, I obviously I'm not t- I'm not taking it to the pool or anything mm-hmm. like that. Only taking it out for special occasions. Otherwise, it uh, sits in the safe. Nice. Where it's uh, yeah, where it's safe, right? Where it's safe. Very cool. So what what's is there a next purchase? Is there anything else on the on the wish list? So you're the type of guy who's like, oh, I'm good. I have my three four watches, and that's that's good for me. Well. I mean, I'm I'm definitely good. Like, I I don't feel like I need more watches because every single watch I have has such um has a moment and a milestone attached to it, mm-hmm. right? So they're not they're not just watches. Like each each watch represents um something that I've achieved, right? You know, 2005 watch, you know, you know, 2006, you know, my my first speed master, you know, the 2007 one that my dad has was my world championships one. This one represents me coming out of retirement after seven years yeah. with less than a year to go to Tokyo. Um, and then COVID hitting, throwing in its own challenges. And with all the odds against me, I was able to come back and actually make it to the Olympics. Not only did I make it to the Olympics, I just missed out on them on a medal in the relay. And then I barely, like, I actually almost made the final, um, in the 50 free. All right. So like, um, not only did I just make it, but I, I feel like I also made a statement, um, as well. So the watch kind of represents, um, you know, to, Never put limits on yourself hmm. that you, everyone, um, everyone is limitless. Right. So like, and you just, you just never really know how far you're going to go until you actually give it a shot. Right. So, right. so I hope this story can like, you know, um, other people listening can kind of think like, you know, feel like, you know, if there's something that they wanted to achieve that they feel like they've missed out on, whether it's uh, too late or, you know, whatever their reasons are that, you know, they could still go after it. All right to so i hope that story kind of inspires them to go chase after their dreams not feel like it, they've missed out absolutely i mean f- for a lot of people i guess a watch is an aspirational purchase but on the other hand there's 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 those guys like you who buy a watch to commemorate something and and as you said you have a connection to each and every model that you have and that's that's really just a cool story to have this full circle with the with the first speedmaster um yeah you know having been a fan of the movie and 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 space and i guess most of us who have a speedmaster probably are in the same shoe like we are interested in nasa and and space and when you think of space the first what you think of is the speedmaster professional so so competing as you said and being the best and then getting a reward not only a reward as a medal but also a watch that's that's something something special and so which one's the watch that you wore to your wedding then which one's the wedding watch oh that was the speedmaster professional that was the speed there you go yeah the 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 classic moon watch so you get the seamaster to connect you with your dad then you get the speedmaster yeah. connect you with your wife and yeah. now you have the new speedy and now i have this one and uh i haven't decided if i'm going to keep going to paris because uh this journey was all about Tokyo mm-hmm. um, because, you know, me being on this journey, you know, you know, I'm, I'm sharing my life with, with someone, you know, my, my wife, who's actually, she's back home. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, um, she seems to be behind me to, to go to Paris. She's kind of been hinting a little bit. So um, you asked the question if I was going to get any more watches. Um, I think it would have to be a, a pretty special uh, milestone again. Um and you know Paris. If I make it to Paris, seems like a pretty good, uh, pretty good milestone. Um, what are the odds of that? What do you think? Um, the, I, I'm I'm feeling great right now. I just like you know I just had a you know just came off uh, Tokyo, posting times that were um, really close to my best personal times. Uh, you know, in the 53, I almost mm-hmm. almost broke my Canadian record, which was set back in 2009 when we had the full body suit. So I'm actually swimming faster. 
if you take the suit equation uh, out of it. All right. So I, I think if I kept going for Paris, I, I, I believe I have a very good chance at making it. I think the, like, I think my personal performance would be good enough. It's, it more to, remains to be seen uh, if the other swimmers in uh, Canada swim faster than me and, uh, you know, take those positions away from me. Because, like, you know, there's Josh Liendo, who um, he's 18 years old. He was the guy actually, uh, you know, handed the relay off to uh, when I, because I let off, he was second. So I was the oldest uh, swimmer on the team. He was the youngest male swimmer um, on the team. Uh, he's going to have a fantastic career. Um, you know, Yuri Kissel is, is still swimming great, and he anchored our relay uh, for Toronto last night as well. But we've got uh, Ruslan Gaziev, who was, um, you know, he swam the heats in Tokyo. He'll be mm-hmm. ready uh, by the time Paris comes around. we got Finley Knox, who's who's coming up. Like, we got a bunch of guys now. So, like, um, I mean, if me even just sticking around pushes them to be better, then, you know, that's also, that's also a win for me as well. I've already done four Olympics. Like, I don't need five. Right. First save. All right. So I was like, I, I take uh, I take pleasure in knowing that my presence here is is helping others. Do you do you feel some type of way that you missed Rio in 2016, or was it that phase of your life when you were like off and that's okay? You know, I I, I do and I don't because it it was really painful to actually watch. But uh, you know, there there were some some moments that I did make myself watch, like when Penny was uh, Penny Alexiak was in the hundred free final. Um, you know, I was watching that, so seeing her tie for the gold medal, like I jumped off the couch and I, I was screaming. Um, but then watching the men's 100 free was, was pretty painful. And then seeing that my time from London was actually good enough to have meddled if I had I just been there and equaled it. I was like, oh, man, I could have been a two-time Olympic medalist. You know, that's uh, – but um, but at the same time, though, I don't I don't know if I would have been as good in London or in Rio as I was in London just mm-hmm. because of the state that I was in with my mental health and the back spasms. I, I think the reason why this journey has been so successful is because I was able to step away at a, at the, the time that I did to heal myself, both uh, emotionally and physically. Mm. Yeah, gotcha. Well, I I really hope that you're going to add another watch to your collection, meaning you're going to come back. Well, you are here, but, you know, go home and then come back to Paris in a few years. Well, I mean, honestly, if I don't make it to Paris, um, you know, my wife and I, we've been building our business um, together. So there's always a chance that I could just buy another watch because the business is doing really well. And we want, we want to, we want to acknowledge that as well. You know, is there anything that, that, that you like, have you seen anything, any, any watch or any brand that you say, if I had the money right now, it pulled the trigger. Oh, then I, then I'd buy the, uh, the gold, um, Tokyo Speedmaster. Just oh, yeah. So I didn't have to decide between the two. <laughs> um, you know, but like other than like a Speedmaster or a Seamaster, like I've always been a fan of the Devils. Mm-hmm. You know, just they're they're just like that sort of like a timeless classic. Um, you yeah. know, like almost like a grandfather's watch. All right, I wouldn't mind one of those. But honestly, like, I I feel like my wife deserves one now. So I, I've been looking at at the women's watches and uh, trying to decide like, okay, well, if we get my wife a watch, which one? Uh, so she really likes diamonds. <laughs> of course. So who doesn't? Right. She's, like, she's got a diamond in. Um, she had a diamond. Uh, the dentist added one to one of her teeth. So she really likes them. So I think it, it would probably have to be um, one something like that. But uh, but yeah. But it has to be an Omega, right? It has to be an Omega. I, I told her like it, it's got to be an Omega because uh, 
um, you know, because she was a swimmer as well. Actually, that's sort of that's uh, more or less uh, how we met. Like, um, we actually had the same swim coach, even though we didn't swim at the same time. But you know, she represented Lebanon mm-hmm. at the Pan Arab Olympics when she was a teenager. Um, so you know, she's she, her life's been measured by Omega um, as well. So crazy story. Yeah, Brent, thanks a lot, man, for your time. Uh, thanks for the stories, and especially going into really, really deep stuff. I, I, I truly enjoyed it. As I said, I was, I was, um, I was expecting like a, a really easy chat, and I was really happy that that it was, it was a bit more than that. Now I'm, I'm, I'm truly honored that you shared all the stories with us, and I think it's, as I said, for, for mental health, but also for, for motivation. I guess that's that's going to be really important for somebody out there who might listen to this, or somebody who listened to it, who knows someone who should listen to that. So thanks a lot for sharing all of that with us. Good luck for the rest of the games uh, in Naples. Hopefully see you in Paris. And we will have to do a part two when you get that next watch. Absolutely. And uh, thank you so much. I mean, I, honestly, like I had, I had an absolute pleasure. I hope uh, you, the listeners, uh, were able to pick something uh, out of the story that you can uh, you know, use to help you at whatever stage uh, you are in your life or maybe a future stage. So, um, yeah, no, thank you for giving me the, the chance to share this with you. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, man.